This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn more about Reynolds' online retailing approach by visiting reyrey.com forward slash retail anywhere. That's R-U-I-R-U-I.com slash retail anywhere. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, August 19th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, General Motors brings back its shareholder dividend. Meanwhile, GM and LG consider Indiana for a fourth U.S. battery plant. And a top Toyota executive expects one more year of tight inventories. Plus, we'll hear from the CEO of MarketScan about how Fed interest rate hikes in the U.S. might affect auto lending. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. General Motors is reinstating its dividend at a sharply reduced level. The Detroit automaker is also resuming share buybacks. The moves come more than two years after GM suspended dividends and buybacks to preserve cash in the early days of the pandemic. Shareholders of record as of the end of this month will receive a payout on September 15th of $0.09 a share. When GM halted the dividend in April 2020, it stood at $0.38 a share. The buyback program will be expanded to $5 billion, up from $3.3 billion that remained under the prior plan. CEO Mary Barra says the decision was made in part because of momentum GM is seeing in other efforts, including electric vehicle development and battery manufacturing. Speaking of GM's battery manufacturing, the automaker and LG are considering a site in Indiana for a fourth U.S. battery plant. A spokesperson for the company's joint venture says Ultium Cells LLC is developing a competitive business case for a potential large investment that could be located in New Carlisle, Indiana. She adds that Ultium has submitted a tax abatement application that it hopes will be approved later this month. A source told Reuters that the fourth plan is expected to be similar to the three others and have an investment of more than $2 billion. It's not clear when it might open. One more year. That's how long the head of sales for Toyota Motor North America thinks the industry will be dealing with historically tight inventories. Jack Hollis made the remarks yesterday during a live-streamed Automotive Press Association event. We're going to be dealing with this for one more year, and I want to define what I mean. I do not believe you're going to see growing dealer stock for one more year. I think we're going to be in a situation, speaking for Toyota and Lexus, where whatever we wholesale is what we'll retail. And I think you're going to be looking at third quarter of next year. And at third quarter of next year, I do believe what you will see is some growing, small, not back to quote unquote normal, but you'll see production levels, which will just barely outpace the retail level. So if we can grow some stock, I see that through the end of 23. Hollis noted that Toyota dealerships have been down to a 36-hour supply at some points recently. He also commented on the new Inflation Reduction Act, saying that it will be an incentive for Toyota to add more production in the U.S. And organizers of the Geneva Auto Show are trading snow for sand. They've canceled the event for the fourth year running. It was scheduled to take place in February. Instead, Organizers are switching the auto show's traditionally chilly venue in Alpine Europe to the balmy Middle East. They'll focus on a complimentary event, the Geneva International Motor Show Cutter, due to be held in Doha in November 2023. Organizers attributed the decision to hold the show outside its hometown to unspecified economic 
geopolitical, and pandemic-related concerns. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, GM and LG wanting to open this battery plant, which I think is great, but on the other side of it, it's a little strange to open a battery plant in Indiana where they're not building EVs nowhere nearby. Does this make any sense to you? (laughs) Well, it'll be interesting to see if they follow through with building the plant and operating it. From Indiana, they could supply Tennessee, Ohio, and Michigan EV plants, but they also have one in Mexico that's hundreds of miles from any battery plant that <laughs> that Ultium has. The, a lot of speculation was that the fourth plant would go in Texas. It's possible that this tax abatement application in Indiana is an effort to hold Texas's feet to the fire and get a better offer from that state. So we'll see where the actual investment money goes. Ah, well, coming up, how does the current economy affect the captive lender versus non-captive lender dynamic? We'll hear from MarketScan CEO Rusty West next on Daily Drive. Customer wants to sign documents remotely? No problem. Customer wants to provide documentation and their driver's license in person? No problem. Customer wants to have their vehicle delivered? No problem. There are a lot of steps to complete a car deal. But what happens when customers start online and end in-store, or vice versa? You need a seamless, consistent process to start work and finalize every vehicle purchase, no matter where the customer is. Chris Walsh, president of Reynolds & Reynolds, explains how. Retail Anywhere is is powered by the retail management system. So the retail management system is the engine that kind of makes this all work. And it's based on the premise that customers can be anywhere, right? They can be in-store, they can be at home, they can be a hybrid of both. It doesn't really matter, but it's a single process of interacting with that customer. And that's you know really important to be consistent in that way. And it's only achievable through a single system like the retail management system. Regardless of where the customer is buying from and how, Retail Anywhere focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this holistic approach to digital retailing, visit rayray.com forward slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y, R-E-Y dot com slash retail anywhere. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The Federal Reserve Board has hiked interest rates three times in the last three months to help rein in inflation. Economists say just a one-point change on a six-year auto loan results in a 3% increase on the average car payment. Would a bigger payment cause a car buyer to skip some vehicle protection products to save money? Senior editor Dan Shine spoke with MarketScan CEO Rusty West about how the Fed's rate hikes might impact auto loans and the dealership F&I office. Here's their conversation. Rusty, thanks for joining us on the F&I Friday edition of Daily Drive. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm super happy to be here. So before we start talking about Fed rate hikes and uh, what that might mean for car shoppers and car buyers, tell us a little bit about MarketScan, what you guys do, who you are. Yeah, thanks. So we're a software company that's been around since 1988. I, I always joke around, tell everybody I'm the new guy, right? I've been doing this for a long time. But uh, but at our heart, we're automotive payments as a service provider. So we track all of the data from all the different lenders, different manufacturers, different municipalities, all the dealerships, terms and conditions under which they're willing to transact. And we calculate exact payments that can be presented to consumers anywhere in the ecosystem from ad tech all the way down into uh, we call some of the DMS systems that are out there. So and everything in between. All right, interesting. So, 
Uh, I want to talk a little about Fed rate hikes. They've raised rates uh, three times, I think, in the last three months, uh, which you know could have an impact on uh, car buyers out there. What if I'm an F&I manager uh, somewhere? Should I be concerned about these rate hikes and what it might mean for my business? Uh, I don't know that the rate hikes are the, the biggest concern right now. I think this whole dynamics of laws of supply and demand are what's taken over, right? So when inventory is super limited, vehicles are going to get sold. Consumers are going to make payments on them. Unfortunately, the consumer's payments are going to be higher than they normally would with the uh, interest rate hike, but, but they're still going to have payments. So I, I don't think that it's a big, big concern right now. I think it's going to create some very interesting dynamics a little bit down the road, you know, as these consumers get a little further down the road and their uh, new leases or their, you know, their finance contracts, they're just going to be challenging to get them out of them. But right now I think they might be okay. So I think I read somewhere that, you know, one point, one point change on a six-year auto loan means about a 3% maybe impact on the average payment, which might mean if I'm a car buyer and my money's a little bit tighter, I may not buy some of those protection products that the F&I office wants to sell me. If I'm, again, if I'm an F&I manager, when should I start you know, being concerned or panicking and what should I be looking for out there on the horizon that might mean that trouble's ahead? That's an interesting one, right? Everybody's payments are higher than they normally have been, right? If we look at the average selling price of the cars now versus you know, however long ago, I and mean, we're average selling price of a new vehicle is exceeding $50,000 right now, which is the highest it's ever been in history. And consumers don't stroke checks for those, right? They got to pay a certain amount up front and they pay so much a month for so many months. What we're seeing is a lot of longer term contracts, which will help bring the payment down, but it also has a long-term risk as far as being able to get the consumer out of that car uh, down the road because you end up with more of a negative equity. When you do have people who are shopping for vehicles or acquiring vehicles and they have a, a budget that they're trying to stay within, if the payment on the car kind of runs right up against that threshold of that budget, you're absolutely right. It doesn't really leave much room for any aftermarket products. That's going to be an interesting balancing act for the finance guys, right? It's not going to be easy for them, but it's kind of the landscape that we're living with right now. What, and speaking of landscape, I mean, how do you see things playing out over the next next six months, one year when it comes to you know, auto finance, the way we're going? You know, we got the crystal ball out. Uh, it's, all, it's all polished up. What uh, what do you see out there for the you know, six months, a year ahead? Chaos, um, which is what we have right now. All the stuff that's going on with supply chain issues, reduced inventory and all that is really messing up the industry. And um, I don't say messing it up, it, but it's, it's making it chaotic and very confusing, right? Uh, we're seeing a ton of stuff with what's going on with the captive lenders versus non-captive lenders and some very aggressive non-captive lenders coming out. And I see a bunch more of that, maybe even more so than we've seen in the last six to eight months. And it's all, I think, going to be driven by when inventory kind of normalizes, when cars actually are rolling off the uh, assembly lines and hitting the showroom floors and the supply gets high. Obviously, pricing is going to come down and, and then we'll see a whole new dynamic. But I think what we'll see for the next six months to a year is a lot more of what we've seen in the last six months, where every month it's kind of unpredictable, right? It's, it's difficult to say, okay, well, this is what's going to happen in August based on what happened in July, uh, because everything's changing so quickly and everything's such a mess. There's going to be a lot of challenges and a lot of very aggressive programs from non-captives. And I think a lot more continued pullback from the captives and the OEMs uh, as far as subvented programs and rebates and incentives and that kind of stuff. 
you don't have to spend as much money to sell a car if you know supply is limited, right? Because they're they're selling anyway. So, and I was going to kind of touch on that kind of that captive non captive dynamic that's you know currently going on. How do you kind of see that playing out? And, and you know maybe where credit unions come into this as well. I seem to, they kind of seem to be a player when the interest rates go up. Credit unions seem to kind of take more of the action than they usually do. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a great question. You know, we kind of play in four different verticals. Our largest vertical is the technology vertical, where we're powering you know, DMS companies or digital retailing companies, that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's two other verticals that we we do a lot of work in. One of them is analytics for lenders, and the other is analytics for manufacturers. And the stuff that we've been seeing from the lending institutions gives us a lot of insight into the landscape. And the landscape historically was the captive lender programs were typically cheaper. Everything being equal would have a cheaper monthly payment than non-captives on almost exactly half of the vehicles out there. If you look at if you look at every make model trim from Acura to Volvo on new cars. And then it was about 45, 47% the captive had the best program on a finance. So 50-50 was on a lease. Now it's less than 10% that the captive has the cheapest monthly payment. I think twofold. One of them is there's been a big withdrawal from having to do some vended programs and that kind of stuff. And the other is that these a lot of the credit unions, a lot of the third-party lending institutions are really getting a gobble up this business. It's been a very cool dynamic. We're going to see a lot more of that. A lot of very aggressive credit union programs. The big banks, Ally Financials, the U.S. banks of this world are super aggressive about going after business in lots of markets. And I think they're going to buy a lot of that business. We just saw that Warren Buffett tripled his investment in Ally Financials. So that's you know kind of interesting right there. Before we close here, I want to talk a little bit about incentives and rebates on vehicles. They're almost non-existent because... They don't have to be there. They're selling them. They're flying off the showroom floors. And why put a discount on them? But if interest rates increase enough to kind of slow demand and inventory builds, could that spur, do you think, a return to some kind of discounts and incentives? For yeah, vehicles? I think so, for sure. And I think it might also spur some uh, subvention programs from the lenders, right? So you don't necessarily have to put rebate money on it. Uh, to sell a car if you take that same amount of money and you buy down a rate or you buy up a residual value on a lease or whatever the net result is the monthly payment comes down and you know we look at the world and the way consumers shop for cars it's all based on what's the financial overall package look like assuming the particular vehicle checks all of the wants and needs boxes right you know it's, it gets this kind of safety ratings it'll accommodate my family which i've got kids and all that kind of stuff assuming those things work and they like the car then it all comes down to what's the transaction look like and it's how much up front how much a month and how many months and that combination of rebates or subvented programs or whatever those are all the complexities that go into making that payment scenario for the consumer you know, if sales start to slow down a little bit, we'll see more aggressive programs. If sales continue where we're selling whatever we can get, which there's not a ton of inventory out there, then I don't know that there's going to be much of a driver, much of a need to put extra money on the car, right? It's, it's all going to, I think, be based on inventory volumes and, and how well the cars and trucks are selling. Well, Rusty, appreciate the conversation. Very interesting stuff. And uh, we'll check in again later with, I'm sure the Fed will have more things up their sleeve uh, for us in the future. <laughs> so. For now, thanks for the conversation and uh, talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate talking to you. Rusty West is CEO of MarketScan. He spoke with our own Dan Shine. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. 
You can get the latest news on finance and insurance, auto stock dividends, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for a conversation with comedian Jay Leno from this weekend's Woodward Dream Cruise about his work with Ford, as well as his signature car care line. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.